Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you in church today. Greetings to the live streamers. Uh, take your Bible, please. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Again, I want to thank uh, Stacy for preaching last Sunday in our absence. I thought that was a great message. I listened to it live from Rye, New York. So, Stacy, thank you for that. That was a passionate word. You're not going to die. You're going to live. And, you know, that goes along with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We have a living hope. We're alive today. Come on, we're alive today. Everything's not going to be perfect, but we're alive and we're fighting the good fight. Amen. So, and also, Greg Walker, thank you for leading worship. You and your friend Morrow, wonderful job. I could sense the presence of the Lord on the live stream. You know, I don't, I don't usually watch live stream because I'm here. But uh, it was good to enter in that way as well. So thank you for that. So, 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, I want to start reading uh, at verse number 13. Just a couple of verses today. Uh, verses 13 through 16. So can we stand together as we read God's word today? Boy, my glasses just got steamed up. I got to clean them off. <laughs> Something's going on. I don't know what. Wow. Okay. So 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, and I'm using uh, New King James Version. I know there's different ways to say this, but therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. We'll be talking about what that means. Be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Father, Lord God, thank you for your word today. And Lord, we just happen to be at this particular passage, at this particular time. So Lord, I'm trusting you that, that we need to hear this today. Lord, I know you gave me something to share. Anoint me, anoint my lips and my heart, my mind, my soul and spirit, that I may preach the word of God the way you want. We pray, Lord, that in, in this interaction of preaching, that you will be glorified you will be exposed as who you are and your people will be edified. And for anyone that's not a believer that sees this either maybe now or later through the videos, let conviction of your spirit rule in their heart. Bring someone into a living relationship with you as a result of this today. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Don't you like the missions decorations? Thank you, uh, Juanita and Esther, for your labors. <clears throat> I really like these little lights up here. You know, we are the light of the world. It's, it's a good uh, symbol of what we're all about. Uh, the, the photos are, are wonderful. And uh, just to get our mind geared on our missions month. October 29th is going to be a wonderful day. It's a very, a very pertinent topic that she's speaking on. Later in November, we have a few other speakers coming as well. So uh, this is our time of year to really hone in on God's heart, which is to reach the masses with the gospel, including Israel and Palestine. Okay, so last time uh, we were sharing, uh, just going backwards a little bit from, from verse 13, verses 10 through 12, we spoke about our great salvation. 
The prophets and angels long to know what this was all about. We have, we have the, the, uh, the ability or we have the understanding now in our day to understand what they were talking about. They didn't even get the whole picture, but we, we receive it. It's a great salvation. We talked about in verses 6 through 9 how there's always a test. Somebody say amen. There's always something we have to go through, which is really is like a, a, a method that God uses to purify us for when he comes back, that when we meet him, we'll be like fine gold. And then we talked about the, the, uh, verses 3 through 5, the living hope. We have a living hope through a living, resurrected Savior that's still alive today, right now. I loved worship this morning. When we worship the Lord, we're worshiping a God that's alive. That's why worship takes on a life, if you know what I mean. It's, it's a situation where God breathes his, himself into it because he's alive. And then the, the first message was verses, verses 1 and 2, just um, Christian greetings. But I say all that because verse number 13 begins with the word therefore. So um, you could say that Peter is, is saying, in a sense, all that was said before, I said all that to right now say this. And so what he's saying now is, is based upon what he said already in the first 12 verses. Let me just remind you of a couple of scriptures. 1 John four nineteen says that we love him because he first loved us. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, the Lord, made the first move to us. But now we have to love him back is what Peter's saying. God has done all this. Now it's our turn to love him back. However, there's a certain caveat with this statement because if we're to love God, Jesus said, if you love me, what, what did he say? If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. You'll do my commands. So that, that opens up a whole plethora of thought and idea of what are we going to do now that we're saved? How do, we, how do we demonstrate our love back to the Lord? Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a similar passage. It, it begins, if you don't know it, it begins like this. Therefore... I beseech you by the mercies of God. Therefore, because of everything I just said to you, this is Paul speaking now, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I beseech you to give your bodies as a living sacrifice. And don't be conformed to this world, but renew your mind. Transform your mind by renewing your mind in the word of God, that you may know the perfect will of God. So I, I think what, what I'm feeling with this is, um, in verses 13, 14, 15, and 16, the Lord is almost like subliminally giving us the proper way to look at things. And I, I realize in our culture, uh, having a biblical mindset or having a, a proper mindset is not always working in our society. And what I mean is, I don't want to go off too far on this. It's a little bit of a tangent, but bear with me. We live in a culture of entitlement. I, I deserve it. I need it. You're supposed to give to me without any thought of doing something back in return, whether it's through the government or through school or through family or even through the church. But I think when we read these scriptures like verse 13, therefore, and Romans 12, 1 and 2, therefore, by the mercies of God, 
we have a, a response. We have like a biblical pattern of how we're supposed to react when, first of all, when people bless us. I just Let me just throw this in right here, okay? If someone blesses you or blesses me, we, we should have an obligation in our heart to be very thankful and humble and appreciative of what they do for us. And to let them know we appreciate what they're doing. I'm just saying, in our culture, that's not always the case. But more aligned in the context of this passage, when God blesses, when God provides, when he does something for us, we should absolutely respect with 100% commitment back to him with love, respect, honor, worship, and praise. And sometimes you might think, well, what has God done for me lately? I, I don't know. I don't want to get into what he's done for you lately. If you're saved, that's enough. If you're saved, that is enough. You know how many people in the world, that's why we support missions, but so many, what, millions of people have never even heard the name of Jesus. And we're worried about, oh, God, get me out of a traffic jam, literally. And he didn't do it. And, oh, Lord, you're, I don't know where you are. Really? Is that where, what we've come to, you know? So I think so. First Peter chapter 1, we're seeing this, this thing develop. We have a great salvation. I preached on that two weeks ago. I love preaching that message. We have a great salvation. Our salvation is so great, it changes our destiny. That's pretty great. It changes our eternity. It changes our life on earth. Can I get an amen? It changes what we do, how we think. Our, our salvation uh, sees us through trials. When we have a biblical perspective, we don't get mad at God or mad at people. We realize what we're going through, God is allowing to purify our hearts and get us ready for eternity. We have a, a living hope within us. We have a risen, living Savior. So anyway, verse 13, he says, Therefore, because of all of that, now this is what you have to do. And this is summarized in verses 15 and 16. He says, what, what I'm telling you to do is, you've got to now be holy in all your conduct. Right there, I may have lost some people. I may have lost some people. I, I, sorry to say this. In the evangelical church, and I love the evangelical church. We're a part of the evangelical church. However, just personally, I think a whole lot of beliefs, activities, mindsets, attitudes are not addressed and should be addressed by the church so that we could be living a wholly different type of a life. Amen. I shared earlier, if you came in late, when we first started this morning, I, I said uh, we were putting together some information for Esther for, for our missions week, uh, month coming up, the history of the church. But this church, the, the Assembly of God Church in Haverhill, started for the first time somewhere in the 1930s, believe it or not. That church lasted just a couple of years, didn't last long. But in the 1950s, it was resurrected, or a new church was, was established. And from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, till today, there's been a Pentecostal witness in Haverhill. And, and now, now, yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> And if you don't know this, let me just tell you. I, I can remember being, being in the Pentecostal church in the 70s, either in North Carolina or New York. And we were, we were small. We were small. But we were holy. And we were feisty. Nobody messed with the Pentecostal church. 
because we had a zeal and a zest for God. And I remember, I could just imagine what it was like in the 50s, 60s, in the 60s, oh my goodness, when everything was going crazy in the 60s, Vietnam and all the rebellion, all the stuff going on, there's a Pentecostal work going on. And I, I just, I just want to convey to you that, that we as a church, as a movement, we're hanging on to the Word of God without compromise. I mean, we change with the culture. We try to deal with the culture and everything. We don't compromise the Word of God. And so when I, when I get into this, when, when Peter is saying, therefore, after all that God has done for you, I, I would say to the church, therefore, can we be a holy people? Now, I, right there, it's going to rock your world to, to well, <laughs> maybe to hear this message is going to rock your world. I'm not really sure how this is going to play out, but... I feel so strongly that God has put this on my heart. Jesus is coming back, church. So let me, I said this earlier too, and I don't want to go off in a lot of directions, but before Jesus came, it was all about Israel and the prophets. When Jesus came, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus opened up the gospel to the whole world. God so loved the world, not just Israel, but everybody. And Jesus died for the whole world. And what's going to happen? In Acts chapter 2, when the church was birthed, when the Holy Spirit fell, the church was birthed. We live in the age of grace. And we will continue in the age of grace until the rapture of the church comes. And guess what's going to happen then? Seven years tribulation. You know why? God's attention will now be again focused on Israel. And I'm thinking of all the stuff going on today in the world with Russia, Ukraine, China, and Taiwan, North Korea, Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, all the Middle East. Everyone hates Israel. Wouldn't it be like the Lord to remove the church so that he could then deal with Israel to get them ready for the second coming of the Lord? And I'm saying with all that in mind, listen, church, therefore, can we live a holy life? What if Jesus were to come today? How would, we re- how would we react to that? Would, be, be, would we be ready for his return? Amen. What? <laughs> Thank you. I don't even know where I am right now, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to go verse by verse, and we're going to give you some things to think about. The title of the message is, Holiness, Our Reasonable Service Back to the Lord. So let's go to verse number 13. Therefore, as in Romans 12, 1, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. The NIV says, uh, with minds that are, that are alert. Um, the uh, um, amplified version says, brace your minds. I like the message translation. It says, roll up your sleeves and get your head in the game. Can anyone relate to that? So when he, when he says, gird up the, the, gird up the loins of your mind, what he's really, is an idiom. What he's really saying, if you could imagine the, the robes they used to wear, pick up your robes and gird them around your waist so you could sit on your donkey or your horse without tripping over yourself. But do it with your mind. In other words, get your mind in the game. Get ready mentally, be alert, be prepared. It's a mental experience. Get your mind engaged in the process. Ponder this. Think on this. Contemplate this. Uh, Get your head ready for the spiritual warfare that's about to break loose. I love when I think about what the Holy Spirit has done in my life and in your lives. 
But it says that he who ha has been set free is free indeed. Now, that's a true statement. If you've been delivered and saved, you've been set free. Don't go back to your Egypt and pick up those old habits, those old things. Stay free. Stay f pure. Stay holy. Then it says in verse number 13, in my translation, I think through all of them, it says to be sober. One of several places where that phrase is used. Be sober. Can I just talk about that for a second? Ephesians 5.8 says, don't get drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit of God. The only mind-altering thing we need is the Holy Spirit. I, and I'm saying that from experience. I've been on the other side of that one. I know the difference of being high with whatever and being high in the Lord. I'd much rather be high in the Lord. Can anyone relate? You know, if you've been in both worlds, you know. You know how, how that is, but you know how this is. So I would say, you know what, be sober. Be free of alcohol, pot, drugs, dopamine, anything else. Dopamine is a chemical that's released in your brain when you watch pornography. Don't, and it changes. It, it's, it's more addicting, I've read, than cocaine. So be free. Be sober-minded. Get your mind in this game. God has done so much for you. Can you just get alone with God and get your healing, get your deliverance, get your mind set on serving God 100%? That's why I believe the only salvation, really, is a radical salvation. If it's not radical, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to judge. But I think it's got to be a radical salvation where lives literally change by the presence of God. Amen. Hallelujah. So he says, you know, be sober, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number seven. It says, uh, you go through these trials, you know, tested by fire, that you may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's an emphasis on something else happening. There will be a revelation of Jesus Christ. And what Peter is saying is, get your head in the game and realize the time is coming. It's going to happen. Be sober, be clear. Let your hope fully be upon the grace that will be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We talked about how we're saved. You know, we've been saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. Well, we could say we receive grace. We're receiving grace, and we will receive grace when he comes back again. But let your hope be upon that grace, not on yourself, not on how smart or bright you might be, not what kind of family you come from or don't come from. Your hope isn't based on other people or even on education. It, nothing else will, will satisfy. Nothing else will deliver like the grace of God. I like what Paul says in Romans 6, 1 and 2. He says, be strong. Oh, he says, um, what shall we do? Shall we sin more that grace will abound? No, no, we don't sin more. But in Romans 5, 1, it says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That, let that be our, our focus, the grace of God. Stay focused on, on your walk with God, his grace, his power to keep you. And so let this settle in your heart, your mind, your, 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 your spirit, uh, your life. Let your life be just, just covered with this idea that I've surrendered everything to almighty God. Verse number 14, he says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. You know, no matter how old we get, 
and I, some of us are older than others, and I, I probably top, top the cake on that one, but it doesn't matter. We're still children of God. No matter how old we get, no matter how long we serve God, no matter how long we, or how, how much we think we know about God or whatever, we're still considered a child of God. We're his children. And we don't go backwards. We don't conform ourselves to our former lusts, whatever they were. And we don't walk around in ignorance like we didn't hear preaching for the last 25 years when we did. Or we never read the Bible, which we did a million times since we got saved. We don't go backwards we, we, we stay humble and broken before the Lord as obedient children. We let go of those former things. Maybe someone needs to hear this today. Whatever it bound you before, let that be broken in the name of Jesus. That, that's a Pentecostal message right there. Let the Holy Spirit grab you. Let the Holy Spirit grab what has you, whatever, and, and let the Holy Spirit break it off of you. Now listen, it may, not, it may happen overnight. It might, I've seen that happen. I've seen, also seen it happen over a period of years. And all those years is, guess what? It's a proving ground. How bad do you want God to move in your life, even though you have difficulties, problems, or whatever? Even though you may have things going on that aren't right, God is testing you to see if you're really serious about getting his help. Hang in there, church. Deliverance is coming. And, and when there's altar calls and there's worship times, there's special nights of prayer or, or for healing or deliverance, come out and be prayed for by somebody. Put yourself in a position of, I want to be healed, I want to be delivered, I want to be set free. So pursue God. Pursue holiness. Don't settle for where you are right now. And you may be a whole lot better than you were a few years ago. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But don't, be, don't settle for that, because God has more for you. Verse number three talks about the living hope. We have a living hope. We, have, we serve a risen Savior. We, are, we have someone alive within us. The Spirit of God lives in us. Can you imagine that? The Spirit of God resides. We're, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. How can we put ourselves in, a, in harm's way by being in an unholy environment or an unholy situation. Believe me, I know what happens. I'm just saying, as a holy people, we have the spirit of... That's why when we get into these situations, I don't know about you, but there's sometimes in my life when I, I've gotten into a, a situation where I, I know I shouldn't be in this situation, and, and I, it's tempting in a way, but in another way, I can't enjoy this. Like you're kind of caught in the middle. You know it's not right, but you're tempted to do it or whatever. But you know you're feeling bad about being in the situation. That's the, that's the Holy Ghost giving us conviction. And when we feel that conviction, the best thing we could do is back up and walk away. And get around some Christian people and pray. So he says, you know, as obedient children, never, listen church, don't ever lose the idea that you're a child of God. You're a child of God. A child is humble, innocent, etc. Don't ever lose that. Keep that. Protect that. That's pleasing to the Lord. The Lord, what does the word say? Several places. The Lord resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. A child is humble. That's the analogy. Stay uh, childlike. Believe God. Trust God. It says in verses 15 and 16, as he who called you is holy... Let that sink in a little bit. When he called you, when he called me, 
I was a trillion miles away from a holy life, let me tell you. But that didn't bother the Lord. He broke through my unholiness. He's holy. And he raised me up to be where he is. He didn't come down to my level, but he pulled me out. But you also be holy in all your conduct. Can I emphasize the word all? <laughs> what about when nobody sees? God sees. What about when nobody hears? God hears. What about when all the lights are out? No, God sees in the dark. It is written, be holy, for I am holy. Let me, let me read you some scriptures here in the Old Testament. You could look if you want, but you don't have to. Leviticus 11, verses 44 and 45 says, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. This reminds me of, of my early years in, in, in the faith. Uh, Pam, you probably remember. You know, many of you know I used to play, well, I still play guitar, but I used to play in, not church. <laughs> but I, when I first got saved, we moved to North Carolina, and I thought, I'm going to get a job in a little bar down the road and make some extra money. That's what I do, make money. You know, play my guitar and sing and make some money. And some wise friends that I just met said, you know, Rick, I think God might have a better plan for you. What they were saying was, you know, God saved you and delivered you from that mess. Don't put yourself back in that environment. Stay consecrated. It might be too tempting for you. And I thank the Lord. I listened to him. I never went back to it. But anyway, you, you shall be holy for I am holy. Neither shall you defile, defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's regarding food. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy for I am holy. In uh, Leviticus 19 verse 2 it says, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy for the Lord your God is holy. In Leviticus 27 uh, and 8, it says this, Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And so here Peter is quoting from Leviticus saying, Look, the Lord is holy, but now you emulate him, you copy him, you, you live a holy life to him. And it's a high, it's a high order. Let me, let me just share something with you real quick here. Again, Peter knows exactly what he's talking about. This is, I like the personal touch that he throws in here. If you think about it, we talked about how Peter had a living hope. He writes about a living hope. Why did he, why is that so important? Because Peter went to the tomb and saw that Jesus wasn't there anymore. Jesus appeared and he knows Jesus is alive. So when he writes about a living hope, he's talking from experience. He knows about trials. When he denied the Lord, when he went through that fire, uh, he wept bitter tears, but he knows through the trial, God was purifying him. Uh, he knows about the great salvation that even a sinful person like him could get right with God. And now he's talking about a holy life. He's calling the church to live a holy life. Let me just show, tell you two things about that. In Acts chapter 5 is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias brought an offering to the church. And he lied to the Holy Spirit. He didn't give the whole thing. And Peter, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, called him out and said, Ananias, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? You didn't give the whole offering that you should have, that you should have gave to given to the church. And right then, Ananias died. And a little bit later, when his wife came, same interaction, boom, she died. Peter knows the holiness of God. 
He couldn't be in that situation without being a holy, not perfect, but a holy believer in God. I, I think uh, another example is in, in Galatians chapter 2. When Peter was fellowshipping with the Gentile believers, going out to eat with them, buddy-buddy, when the Jewish, leaders, Jewish Christian leaders came from Jerusalem to see what was going on up there in Galatia, he shunned those Gentile believers and fellowshiped only with the Jewish believers. Now, that's not very holy, but what happens next is holy. Paul confronts him. Paul says, Peter, what are you doing? When they weren't here, you fellowship with the Gentiles. Now they're here, you, don't, you treat them like you don't know them. You're a hypocrite. Paul told Peter, you're a hypocrite. And, and here's the holiness of Peter. You know what he said? Absolutely nothing. Nada. He didn't say a word. He was convicted and he knew he was wrong. That's holiness. Only someone that's living a holy life can take correction and rebuke. There was no battle between P Peter and Paul. Peter knew he was right. And he probably made amends with those people too. But this is the holiness of God being played out in our lives. So, verses 15 and 16, be holy, live a holy life. I want to talk about three things here. I want to talk about three things. And in order to understand what we're being called to, I think, number one, we have to understand God's holiness. God's holiness. It says, be holy, for he is holy. You know, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Be holy, for he is holy. I want to just give you some scriptures to think about. 1 Samuel 2, 2 says... There is no one holy like the Lord. That's why in the early days, when I would get around the word of God, when I first heard preaching, as a matter of fact, you can maybe relate to this, I thought, oh my goodness, he, he's getting all that from that little bit of scripture? I never heard real preaching before until after I got saved. I got saved in a, my friend's trailer. But when I went to church, Pentecostal church, I heard preaching. I was flabbergasted. That someone could get a message out of that little bit and preach for an hour with Holy Ghost conviction and, and anointing. I said, oh my goodness, where have I been all my life? I'm 26 years old, thing. I've missed the whole thing here. But there's no one holy like our God. That's experiencing the holiness of God. Isaiah 6.3, when the angel appeared, when Isaiah had this vision, the angel said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holiness in this sense means uh, God's perfection, his moral goodness, his soundness. He's untainted by human flesh or human thinking. James tells us God cannot be tempted by evil and he tempts no one. You ever think about that? God can't tempt anybody because that would be deceitful. To put a slant on, I'm going to get you now. I'm going to tempt you to go into the God won't do that because that would degrade him. It says in Hebrews 16, God cannot lie because that would be deceiving. His holiness shapes all of his other attributes. His holy love, his holy mercy, his holy wrath. We call it righteous indignation. But Isaiah 55 says something we need to focus on. The Lord said, my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. 
As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. The problem is, is we make his ways and his thoughts equal to ours, and it never works. His ways are above our ways. He won't conform to be like us. We must conform to be like him. Case in point, Isaiah 6. I won't take time to look at it, but you probably know it. Isaiah had this vision. He sees the Lord in, in a temple. The, the train of his robe filled the temple. And the glory of God was there. The angels worshiping. And smoke filled the place. And the place was, the doorposts were shaken by the presence of God. And he was undone. And he said, what, what can I do? I can't stand in the presence of a holy God. And the angel came and brought a coal off the fire and purged his lips and made him right. And, and Isaiah was okay. And, and Isaiah responded, Lord, send me. I'll go tell others about your goodness and your holiness. So yeah, God is holy. God is holy. Psalm 24, 3, 3 through 5 says, Who can ascend to your holy hill? Who can go where God is? Uh, who, who can be in fellowship with you? And, and the psalmist says, Those with clean hands and a pure heart can do that. Only those. Well, only those that are under the blood of Jesus, can come into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when Paul writes, Don't you know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? But he says the sexually immoral, and, and the thieves, and the homosexuals, and the covetous, and the drunkards, and the revilers, and the extortioners will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says these famous words, but such were some of you, but you were washed and sanctified and delivered and set free by the power of the word of God and by the work of the Holy Spirit. We, we can't, God won't, God does come to our level, but he doesn't accept us in all that. He wants to change us, forgive us and change our heart and deliver us from all those things that separate us from him. That's, that's the holiness of God. That's the holiness of God. Let me go to number two. Man's battle. These are kind of general terms, but let me just talk about it. Proverbs 14, 12. You probably know it. If you don't know it, you should get to know it. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Uh, have you ever lived in that verse? Oh, man. I think I know more than God sometimes. <laughs> There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is absolute death. Every soul, every living creature has a way, a plan, a self-made compass to find their way. The scripture does say that eternity is in the heart of each man. There's something there that's longing for an answer. But most people search and they long for peace or acceptance or purpose without God. Mostly it comes along the lines of let's eat, drink, and be merry and let's just get through the day. And before you know it, 80 years go by and then you die and that's the end of it. Well, that's the battle we're in. I did a little research on this. Let me, in the 1960s, uh, Paul Anka wrote a song recorded by several people. It, it's become an anthem in a way for a generation of people. Let me, let me read it to you. I won't sing it. See if you know what it is. It says, it goes like this. And now the end is near. So I face the final curtain. 
My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway and more, much more than this. I did it my way. Frank Sinatra. Regrets, I've had a few. But then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exception. I planned each chartered course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. And through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all, and I stood tall, and I did it my way. I've loved, I've laughed, I've cried, I've had my fill, my share of losing, and now as tears subside, I find it all so amusing to think I did all that, and may I say, not in a shy way, oh no, no, not me, I did it my way. For what is man that he has got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels, and not the words of one who kneels, I have to think about that verse. The record shows I took the blows and I did it my way. Can I just make a statement? If I die anytime soon, don't play that song at my funeral. <laughs> Somehow get a song that says he did it his way. I don't want to do it my way. And I don't want you to do it your way. I want us to do it his way. His way is higher, better than our way. Our way gets us into a lot of trouble. So let me just, I want to try to abbreviate this a little bit, but this, this is about, um, well, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the battle is our strong will is bent on pleasing ourselves and not pleasing God. The battle is our warped minds by life's hurts and problems cloud our, our view of things. And our moral compass needs to be reprogrammed to get us out of the middle of it and put God in the middle of the moral compass. Romans 3, I don't want to go there, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory. There's no, none good, none righteous, none understand, none seek God. The battle is, 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 is giving up our rights as a person to do things his way. The, the battle is to give up our say in what's important. The battle is to give up our life and surrender to the Lord. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and follow after me. As we say many times, a lot of people are around the cross. He wants us on the cross to die to self, to live for him. And all of this is summarized with a, with a, a, a word, you, you know, I'm going to put a definition on the, on the screen. It's humanism. It's humanistic to think that we don't need God. And that humanistic philosophy is all over government, all over our schools, and unfortunately, it's even in some churches. Here's the Oxford uh, Dictionary definition. Humanism is an outlook or system of thought attacking prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. In other words, you can make it without God. You can make it without the Word of God. Humanist beliefs uh, stress the potential value and goodness of human beings, emphasize common human needs, and seek solely rational ways of solve, solving human problems. Can I just throw in here, ponder terror groups. 
Ponder what's going on right now in various parts of the world. Ponder the mass shootings, the mass murders. Ponder the corruption that's everywhere from government to church even to everything in our society. And, and, and I, I'm thinking if humanism, if humanism worked, it would have worked by now. It doesn't work. Because a society without God is surely doomed to fail. That's why we preach what we preach. Jesus Christ is the answer. All right, so let me give you the third one. We'll wrap this up. Man's holiness. Man's holiness is doable. It's possible. And I say that because we wouldn't be commanded to do it if we couldn't do it. I don't think the Lord would tell us to do something that we weren't capable of doing. But I do think we have to clarify what holiness means for us. It, it obviously cannot mean perfection because none of us are there. But holiness means living after God's heart, thinking, acting, serving as Jesus would. In response to verses 1 through 12 in 1 Peter, we, it starts with verse 13. It starts with how we think about things. Roll up your sleeves. Gird up the loins of your mind. Get into the fight. Don't settle for second best. Don't settle for getting beat up by the enemy or beat up by the world or beat up by culture. Listen, culture doesn't dictate who we are. We should dictate who culture is. And I know the church, I don't want to go off on another tangent, but a lot of times I think the church emulates the worldly way a little too much. Do we really need to do things to, to counteract what the world is doing? There's some things we just shouldn't do, period, in the first place. But it starts in our mind. Trust in the grace of God. Be childlike in faith. Now let me just say something as I try to wrap this up. Because this is important. 2 Corinthians 6.14 It says, Do not be unequally yoked with non-believers. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Come out from among them. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Cleanse yourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Can I raise a question? What, what happened to the fear of God? Most of us, I mean, we live in an age of grace, but somehow grace has trumped everything. And we lost the fear of God. And we need to fear God. Let me break it down. Cursing for the Christian has to go. Using the Lord's name in vain has to go. Stealing, conniving, getting over on people has to go. Talking down to people, hurting people with words that kill, it's got to go. Talking against churches has got to stop. That's not honoring to God. That's not being holy. Mean-spirited, hateful, prideful, arrogant, uh, being disobedient to the word of God, thinking, oh, well, God will forgive me. Yeah, but you know what? After a while, I think even God gets a little bit impatient with us. How long will we abuse the grace of God? It needs to stop. So, so, so we step out from the flow of the unsaved world. We're in it, but not of it. We have to go to work and everything else, but we don't think, we don't process, we don't live like the world around us. Now, 1 Corinthians 5 tells us something very interesting. Maybe this, this could be another sermon, but let me just say it real quickly. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 5, around verse 11, he says, look, I'm telling you, don't associate with sexually immoral people. 
But I'm not talking about sexually immoral people of the world. I'm talking about sexually immoral people in the church. Whoa, what? He said, I'm calling you out. Don't have fellowship with those in the church that are doing all these things that are sexually immoral, with fornication, adultery, immorality, those that are involved in idolatry, having false gods in our culture, that would be money, primarily. Uh, those that are revilers, those that party, those that drink and get drunk and do all sorts of obnoxious things, those that are drunkards. No, if they call themselves a brother, Paul says, nope, you separate yourself from them. Why does he say that? Because bad company corrupts morals. That's another scripture. But if we allow everything to go in the church, what are we going to have? Now, I, I'm, I'm very graceful. I need grace in my life. I, I live in mercy. I live in God's mercy. Absolutely. But I'm just saying there's a certain point where the church has to rise above and set a higher standard of holiness. Now, if someone is sexually immoral and you know, drinking or whatever, and they're trying to, get, to stop... That's a whole other ball game. I will work with them. I'll eat with them. I'll fellowship with them. I'll try to help them. But if they're holding on to that, like we need to change to go along with that, the scripture says don't even eat with them. In other words, don't even associate with them. What has happened to the church? This is where I go back to the Pentecostal roots. The Pentecostal church was always a holiness church. Holiness. Not perfect, but we tried to be holy. We didn't do certain things. We didn't talk certain talk. We didn't use certain phrases or think like the world. We didn't even go. You know, in the early days, you couldn't even go to a movie theater if you were a, a, a holiness person. Couldn't go to the movie theater. Forget about dancing. All this other stuff. Uh, now, I think wisdom needs to be applied to that. But the principle's not bad. God has called us out of the worldly way. So... Man's holiness. It is achievable, but we have to uh, die to self to make it happen the way, we, the way it should happen. So let me end with this analogy. The Lord is calling us to step it up. Israel's at war. Russia and Ukraine are at war. China and Taiwan are almost at war. North Korea is fanatical. Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Afghanistan hate Israel too. It's time to step it up because before you know it, Jesus is going to come back for his people. And I don't know about you. I don't want to be here during the tribulation. I want to be out of here. I want to be gone. I want to meet the Lord in the, in the clouds like it says. But see, yeah. Lukewarm Evangelicalism is not going to make it. Be holy. Be Christ-like. A good rule of thumb to keep in mind is some years ago there was the, the uh, bracelet WWJD. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do as you're getting ready to do whatever you want to do? Or what would a strong believer do that you know? Uh, what would he do or what would he say to you as you get ready to do or say whatever you want to say? So let's, let's stand together. Holiness, our reasonable service. <laughs> okay. All right, before we uh, close this out, I just got a notice that uh, 
There's another version of uh, I did it my way. It's called I did it God's way. So so we're going to play that at the very end. Okay, let, let me just let me just close this out. Second Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Read it with me. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let's say it one more time. <laughs> I'll, I'll say it slower, okay? okay? As you can tell, I'm a little excited right now. <laughs> For though we walk in the flesh. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Let that sink in. We do. We're here. We're in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty in God for the pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So, uh, you know, back in the day, sometimes at a time like this, when, when the pastor gives an altar call, someone might get saved. I'm going to have two, two parts of the altar call, one for salvation, one for holiness. Now, sometimes people would come up for holiness, and they'd put their cigarettes on the, on the, on the altar. I don't know if anyone smokes. I'm, I'm, or they would put down something. Uh, sometimes people have a, a bottle in, in their car of, of liquor. They go out in the car and get it and put it on the altar. I was in a service one time on a Wednesday night where, believe it or not, a guy put a pistol on the altar. Uh, it's a true story. You know, I mean, I, I've been a pastor for a long time. We've seen trends in churches change over the years. And I don't know, I don't know. I mean, I woke up feeling a little under the weather today. I hope that's not the reason I'm about to. I feel something. I feel like the church is not a social club. And we could do things. We could go to baseball games and whatever. But this is God's business. Your life is God's business. What you do between now and the time you meet Jesus, that's the church's business. And we could go have fun somewhere and chew the fat, you know. We could have a good, we'd eat hot dogs, whatever. We could have a lot of fun. I, I like uh, having fun. I love fun. You know, who doesn't? But ultimately, our business is God's business. And I don't want to pastor a church that's all about fun. I mean, I like fun. Don't get me wrong. At the expense of losing out on the holiness of God. That's what I'm saying. But to be holy in God, it's going to cost us something. We can't be like the world, church. We can't. We can't think like the world. Our priorities have to change. So every head bowed, just a moment. Two, two aspects of the altar call today. One is for salvation. 
Does anyone need to get saved? In other words, let me put it this way. I said it a few weeks ago. If you die tonight, would you go to heaven? The only right answer is yes, because I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. If that's not your answer, there's no other way. Does anyone need to receive Jesus today to be your Lord and Savior? Raise your hand. Anyone online, write a note. All right, I think there's a recommitment there, which is wonderful. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Secondly is this. Does anyone want to pursue holiness? And I know it's going to get serious. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let me say this. Does anybody have anything you want to get rid of today? Yeah? Let me, let me ask you this question. Does anyone have anything you want to get rid of right now in your pockets or in your purse and you want to put it at the altar? Yeah, we kind of live in a different environment today, but there may be some things at home that you need to throw out. You need to get rid of some things. All right, James, why don't we play that song, and then I'm going to pray.
Father God, we love you. Lord, I'll speak for everybody. We're going to do it your way. Lord, help us, please. Help us to die to self and to live for you with a clean, pure heart, O oh God. Let forgiveness reign. Let your grace reign in our lives. But Lord, never let your grace be an excuse to live in the flesh. Lord, for those that uh, raised their hand earlier or thinking about salvation or recommitment to you, Lord, we pray along with them that, that you would come and just reassure us as we surrender our will to yours. You would reassure us that we're in good standing with you. If we accepted you as Lord and Savior, we're okay. But Lord, for many, that whole issue of holiness is like, it's like a secret. We just expose the big secret. Peter is telling us, calling us out under inspiration of the Spirit of God to live a holy life in all of our conduct, every avenue of our lives. So Father, we leave here today with renewed hope that you haven't given up, given up on any of us and you're still working in us. We pray, Lord, that when you return, when that trumpet sounds, we'll be ready to go in that rapture of the saints. Father, I pray your blessing over everyone here, over those on live stream. I pray your blessing on those that will hear this message later. Let it bear good fruit for the kingdom of God. And Father, we do want to pray in closing for Israel, Palestine, the Middle East, all the countries over there, the whole, that whole part of the world is upset. We pray, Lord, that your peace would be there. Somehow, your presence would be there. And Lord, ultimately, let people come to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of all this turmoil. So we thank you, and we praise you for it now. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everybody said, amen. Well, go out and do it God's way.